Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 314 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ayelet Fishback. Ayelet is a psychologist, author and a professor at the University of Chicago. The topic of motivation is something that involves all of us who are living a human experience. Fundamentally, we all want to achieve certain things in life and knowing how to get and sustain your motivation is an unbelievable advantage to have. Ayla has been studying the topic of motivation for the past three decades and the insights she gained and continues to gain are really quite profound and will help you immensely when it comes to achieving your goals. In this episode, you can expect to learn what has surprised Ayelet the most over the past three decades of her research, how to handle the inevitable dip of motivation and setbacks on your journey, along with why you may need an anti-role model as well as a regular role model. So without further ado, Ayelet Fishback. Ayelet Fishback, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Likewise, the pleasure is truly mine and I'm really looking forward to diving into today's conversation, especially with the time of the year that we're at as well. So before we do get into the deep end of it, can you go through who you are and what it is that you do for the listeners who might have not come across yourself before? I'm a motivation scientist. I'm also a professor at the University of Chicago at Booth School of Business and I basically uh, spent my uh, career studying the, the ways in which people motivate themselves and, and those around them. I love that. Super succinct and super to the point. And where did that journey all start for you? When did you start to get interested in motivation? What drives people? What drives yourself? What drives your friends and family, for example? Where did it all begin? Oh, wow. You know, it, I, I don't understand how people can be interested in anything except for motivation. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. There are many worthy uh, uh, topics, but for me, they give it that I've been doing this basically since the end of the the 90s. It's very much what what gets my attention. I started as a a PhD student. Uh, Basically, it was not a big topic uh, in social psychology. I was studying uh, social psychology, uh, but um, but I was curious. I, I was curious, how, how do you get yourself from one point to, to another? And like many psychologists, uh, my interest that uh, in grad school were very much what we call research, okay, understanding how, how do I get myself from one point to another? I grew up in an environment that was very different than uh, the university environment in which I was uh, pursuing my my PhD. And so I was very aware how much the context affects your your motivation and and basically how much the way we we change things for ourselves and and for others is is basically through uh, the context, through the context and and through the way we we think about uh, context. So this is just a very general idea in the behavioral science and I, I kind of spent my career trying to understand what it means. It's definitely a worthwhile pursuit. If there's anything to research, I think motivation is definitely a route to travel down. I feel like you're going to gain a lot from that. And I do have a quick question off the back of that as well. What's one of the things that has surprised you the most about motivation across your past three decades or so of doing that research? What's the first thing that came to your mind when I asked that question? Many things. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind right now when you uh, ask your motivation is uh, when <laughs> when you ask your question. Sorry, uh, is uh, how um, 
how naive uh, we can all be when we have plan for the, for the future. How how much no matter you know, how many times we we fell in, in the trap of uh, uh, of planning for the future and uh, not realizing that it's going to be me in the future and and I get tired and 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 bored and, and hungry. Uh, I, I still plan for a person that never gets tired and is always uh, interested or they don't even care if they're interested they just do what they uh, they need to do and of course they they will eat exactly what they should be eating because they that future person will not care about taste uh, hardly as, as much as this present person so this gap between the you know, the, the planner and, and the doer uh, is is fascinating for me that does sound fascinating and on that note what has been the thing that you've learned that has helped you personally the most? Because I find within the scope of my work, being health and fitness, some of the big insights for a lot of people aren't the thing that helped me. It's sometimes that smaller thing that I didn't realize was going to help me, but that was the key to my success. What was the biggest thing for you during your research that you're like, ah, that's the link in my mindset that I need in order to be more motivated or to at least sustain my motivation, which we'll go into in a bit more detail in just a moment. So, so that's going to be even harder because I know by now of dozens of, of things that I can do and I, I very much uh, fit them uh, to, to the challenge that I'm facing. But I, I would say that uh, uh, what works for me is really designing the, the environment in which it is uh, much more intuitive and, and easy to, to pursue uh, my goals. And, and, and what that means like, much more concretely is uh, um, like having in my house the, the food that I think is good for me to eat and, and not uh, what I should avoid and, uh, and, and having it as part of my my schedule that I exercise in the morning and arranging my, my house such that there is a, a nice place to, to do that and that it is a, a fun and, and, and engaging and, and just designing the environment in which these things are much more likely to happen. Yeah, no, that's incredibly impactful, especially in the work you've related very much so to health and fitness, but just about everything in terms of our lives and the goals we want to achieve can be made much, much easier by doing that. So I couldn't agree more on that front. And that's definitely one that's helped me as well. And do you see this as your life's work? Do you ever feel that you're going to change paths or you can continue to pursue motivation for the remainder of your working and maybe even your lifelong years? I, I think so. I, no, you know, I'm, Presenting very general ideas, there are much uh, more specific things that, that we study. So when we actually do the science, uh, you know, we look at some very specific interventions. We uh, recently did research in which we um, uh, asked people to, to give advice on something that they are struggling with and, and just look at that intervention and found this is Will Owen, Esquire Swingler and Angela Duckworth found that when people give advice, they are motivated by their own advice. I have uh, you know, a, a study with uh, Caitlin Woolley uh, where we uh, ask people to, when they start on something, to have the goal of feeling uncomfortable. And we find that when people are pursuing discomfort as their immediate goal, they actually eventually become more engaged and, and more comfortable uh, doing the activity. And, and so there are like many specific things that that we study. I, no, I'm happy to uh, go into the details of any of the specific interventions. Yeah, there's a world of possibilities. It's not just one scope of work, I can imagine, because if I imagine that each topic you go down the roots of opens up a different can of worms, which pulls out different behaviors in people and allows you to see different things, right? Exactly. Yes. And, then, and you know, yeah, you can tailor it to the person. You can uh, look at the specific barriers that the person is facing with uh, specific goals that, uh, that they have. In, in general, I put behavioral interventions into uh, four buckets, which is setting a goal, monitoring the progress toward the goals, so they're looking at the, the glass half full, the glass half empty, uh, learning from feedback. Uh, the third bucket is managing multiple goals, so helping people to, to think about how I'm going to do the, the different things in my life and when should I prioritize versus find the right balance. And then the the last packet, our interventions that we refer to, the 
the social aspect of motivation and who in my life is going to help me, who's my uh, role model, how do I pursue goals with others? Yeah, this is a truly fascinating topic. When I was doing the research for this episode, I was like, oh, I have this question and this question and this question. So it's going to be a series of questions that I'm going to throw at you today. So I'm very excited to get into them. So thank you so much for sharing that insight to begin with. And the first question I want to ask you is, are some people more motivated than others? And if an individual is more motivated or isn't, maybe is a better question, can they become more of a motivated person? So yes and no. Okay. Yes, in the sense that we can uh, measure uh, motivation there are self-control scales, there's the grid scale, and and basically people can tell us I'm the the highly motivated person, and they're probably going to, across different aspects of their lives, be more motivated than someone that tells us that that they have problems, that they cannot quite get themselves to, to do things. Now, in the sense that the correlation between different aspects of your life is is pretty low. Okay, and so you might be uh, motivated to, uh, know, uh, do your daily workout, uh, but not quite uh, work on your academic degree, okay, or uh, not being able to uh, save and, and handle your finances as much as uh, as you should, and and we just don't see a large correlation between this. The, these different aspects, which means you could be in a, in a great shape, but broke, uh, or a, a very uh, conscientious student, uh, uh, but uh, not quite being able to get yourself to, to eat what you, you believe you should be eating. Uh, and then you had the question of whether you can uh, change uh, yourself in, in a very general way. And they say, Probably you can. I'm not sure that uh, that you should. <laughs> I, I would say uh, there are much uh, easier interventions that can help you with specific goals that you wish to achieve and do not require a, a changing of personality, which you, we know people can, but it's a lot of work. So it's not necessarily about becoming a more motivated person, but it's just about finding a way to become more motivated in the things that you want to achieve in life. Is that right in saying? Yes. Okay. It's, it's about using the, the tricks without uh, changing the person you are. Absolutely. And does it come down to the person you are or does it come down? This is a very interesting question because I'm kind of answering my question whilst I'm telling it in the sense of does it come down to who you are or does it come down to who you say that you are but in a way that does create who you are so what do you take from that little riddle that I've just gone through who you are versus who you say that you are well like they, they, the way we refer to who you say that you are is is your self-perception is whether you uh, you see yourself as a uh, as one person uh, or another and your self-perception it's often uh, more critical than uh, than any objective uh, situation, which which is even hard to to define. Which is the, the reason that we often test personality by asking people about their personality, because it, it it really doesn't matter whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. For example, it matters whether you see yourself as an introvert or, or an extrovert, right? Because the way you see yourself would determine what kind of activities you uh, pursue in your life, okay? what kind of opportunities you uh, seek for yourself. And and, and so I'd say go with uh, the self-perception. But let me also say that as, as a social psychologist, I, I often look at personality as, um, well, I that's there uh, and there's not a lot I can do with it. Okay? Like That's not uh, how I'm going to create change. I'm going to create change by uh, working on the situation, by working on the circumstances, by working on the, the way people frame the, uh, the situation. In terms of like personality, it's a bit, uh, you know, I, I sometimes use the, the, the metaphor of age, right? Like, Many of us, we we would be a, a healthier if we were younger, but that's a, a meaningless statement. Okay, what do you do with it? That's who I am. Okay, I'm a woman in her fifties. Okay, I need to work with that. 
and so that's also my personality. That that's who I am. I need to work with that. Okay? And, and now, the, the work is in in how we change things around us. Absolutely. And run me through those steps. Let's say I've got a person, and this is quite a normal situation for me to experience. I meet a person who is an incredibly consistent member of their family. Maybe they're a mom who is endlessly there for their child, who is motivated to bring them up in the best way, is a devoted and committed partner. Maybe they're thriving in their work, but their health and wellness is something that's just not being able to stick. They've tried countless diets, they've tried countless training regimes, but it's just something that they can't find to stick. What steps do they need to go through to get their health health and fitness or the health and well-being up to the standard of the other areas in their life? Uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really big question. And I would say that uh, one, one reason things don't quite stick the way people would hope is that uh, when it gets to pursuing a healthy lifestyle, that is not usually something that can totally be habitual. Okay, It, it, cannot, it will never be on the level of like brushing your teeth. That you don't have to think about. That's interesting because everyone says that, right? They're like, working out will become just as frequent and just as habitual as brushing your teeth. So you're telling us that it's not. Is that right? It's not. Okay. It, it's not to the extent that I don't need to motivate myself to brush my teeth. That happens. And, and an hour later, you ask me if I did that. And I would have to, I think so, right? It was the morning, so I must have. Okay. I, it, a workout, which I do on most mornings, requires uh, uh, this uh, self-motivation, requires this uh, uh, push. Okay, you, you are now uh, uh, going to, to do that. And for most people, that's uh, really uh, easy to stop okay? and, uh, and requires some uh, uh, daily uh, reminders. We also find that people who stick to exercises and, and to other healthy uh, habits are people that find it intrinsically motivating, that is, they enjoy what they're doing. Uh, this is now, I know, around a, a new year. Uh, when we ask people about the New Year's resolutions, the, the most common New Year resolution, and they can get into the data there, uh, is around uh, health and, and fitness. And what predicts whether people will stick to these resolutions in, like, March and, and June and all the way up to next November, like we usually uh, follow people throughout uh, the year to see how much they stick to the resolutions, uh, is how much they enjoy it. Okay? Now, think about it. You don't, or maybe you do, but most people, we, we, we don't choose our exercise routine because this is what we like doing. Okay, we, we can think of many other things that we like doing more. Okay, I might like watching television more than, than my workout. Okay. But the extent to which I enjoy my workout predicts whether I would still do that uh, a few months uh, uh, later. So we, we need to think about it in terms of motivation. We need to think about finding something enjoyable. Now, what makes it even harder is that we seek variety. Okay. So I might be super excited about this like new pool and, and swimming seems so so great and, and, and it's wonderful to do in, in, in fall. And and then I've been doing it for a while and I get bored, okay, or, or it, it's getting cold or, you know, it's like the, the hours uh, have changed and, and you need to find something new. And, and it, let's go back to brushing your teeth. Okay. You don't need to find a new way of doing it. <laughs> you can basically stick to the same way, right? That's not true for other uh, health behaviors, like the, the, the healthy food. Okay? Like we need variety. Okay? We want to eat new things. This is part of like our evolution as, as humans, and we constantly want to eat new things. We, we get bored. So, you know, you can just say, well, that's my diet for today, and I will make it a habit for the rest of my life. You need to find new ways, exciting ways, uh, intrinsically motivating ways of pursuing your health goals. Yeah, and you hear a lot about athletes as they are the people who are able to do kind of the consistent, repetitive, boring things over and over again. And that's essentially what makes them successful. So do you think that the majority of people who maybe find success in specific pursuits, maybe something like exercise, for example, are those people who actually just find that 
the doing the boring thing is quite easy for them based on a personality trait. And then for those others who don't find it as intrinsically easy, like for me, I can follow the same program for the next three years and I probably won't get bored of it. And maybe that's part of my success of why I'm a health and fitness coach and I have success within that area of my life. However, on the other hand, maybe there's a person who doesn't quite have that same mindset as I do and they would need more variety to maintain their health and wellness pursuits for as long as I have. Would would that be fair to say? Yes, I, I believe so. And and it's not that uh, necessarily that you can handle boredom better as much as you're interested uh, and you, you stay interested for, for a long time and you are... Uh, like you might be able to carry the same exercise for for several years or, or even more because you can uh, find new ways to to look at it because you you get some value from the the consistency. We know, for example, people can meditate for for many years now. It's not that they can tolerate the boredom in meditation, right? It's that they find it interesting. They find it engaging. They they, they can actually every day find a, a reason to, to do that that feels right uh, as they, they they do that. Now, like, what you, you might want to remind yourself is that even though this activity is, is meant to be beneficial in the long run, okay, we're, we're doing these things because we, we think about like, 10 years ahead and, and like, how that will help us uh, uh, have better life and, and better uh, body. Uh, but what predicts persistence is usually the immediate feedback, okay? the immediate rewards and not long-term rewards, even for activities that are designed to enable the long-term rewards. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm actually going to rethink that point that a lot of people said about being able to do the repetitive things over and over again because of I don't find my training monotonous and you're absolutely right when I first started my motivation was to take my shirt off of the beach right and then it evolved into wanting to be stronger then it evolved into the technical aspect of things and that was that's what I found interesting and now it's evolved into the health of my future self you know when I'm 40 50 60 when I'm a dad to my children the leader I want to be for my clients etc so it's not that I am able to tolerate the boredom any better than anyone else. It's more that I can find the enjoyment because I know the return on investment that I'm getting from it. And then obviously that consistency over time makes it a little bit easier for me to stick to as well. So yeah, it's good that you unpack that for me. My pleasure. (laughs) And coming on to the next aspect, something that I always wish people would arrive to me with is not in a position where they're kind of at rock bottom. That's what I kind of find with a lot of people I work with. They've gone to a place with their health where they've reached out to me because they just can't tolerate where they are anymore. They're in a position where they're not happy. They're very uncomfortable. They saw that photo or they went to this event and they just felt pretty like in their words, pretty horrendous, which is a strong place to be. And what I always wish is that we didn't have to get to those places of almost rock bottom to start a journey to move ourselves in the right direction, whether it be financially, whether it be spiritually, or whether it be within our health and wellness. Why is it that we're so motivated when we're in that dark place? And can we get to a place where we just get to about 30% above that threshold to get started? Because I always think that it'd be a lot more beneficial, but then I'm also thinking that there's no lower place to go than rock bottom. So maybe that's the the point in which that's going to elevate them upwards. So what's your take on that? So an interesting uh, observation, I think also, also fits there. Now the New Year's resolution that I, I, in my mind is the best example, right? Because people set their New Year's resolution just at the beginning of January after the the holiday season in which they were not eating what they should be eating, not exercising, uh, not you know, not going to work. Uh, uh, like they, they were kind of uh, doing everything that they don't think that they should be doing for like a week or, or two. And, and this is when they say, oh, no, well, you know, I, I need to uh, uh, get back to, to myself okay? and, uh, and start over. So the, 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 there is some response to negative feedback uh, which for many people is uh, motivating. When we look at, at how people respond to how much progress they've made or, or did not make, we actually see that for 
for people that are high on motivation, okay, your clients are people that can uh, motivate themselves. They do feel uh, motivated. For them, the negative feedback is is uh, motivating. Okay, like they, they you know, looking at what I haven't done is like okay. Well, I I need to be start <laughs> starting this again, uh, but. There is another much less healthy response to, to negative feedback, which is uh, uh, giving up okay? and say, well, you know, uh, giving the last month, I don't think I can do it. Okay? And I'm just going to uh, uh, give up on on this uh, pursuit. This is uh, what we call in the literature, learn helplessness. And we know that from like animals and, and, and people that when something doesn't work out, Many will respond with the conclusion that I guess I'm just not cut for it or that the world is, is cruel and there is a, a no chance. So, uh, you know, the, the people that respond to like walk bottom by, okay, I should walk hard, that's actually the, <laughs> the effective uh, uh, response. Uh, but uh, it might be better uh, for many of us to look back at uh, at what we we did, and instead of used like I'm at thirty percent, instead of saying I'm seventy uh, percent away from uh, where I should be, looking at the thirty percent that I still have in my tank. Okay, I like I I still have something. Okay, I. Uh, uh, I was able to uh, reach out to uh, someone to get help. I was able to uh, make a plan. I, I did something. And look at this, even if it's just baby steps, even if there is not a lot that you have done. For for many people, in particular when confidence is low, it, it's better to look at what has been done than what is uh, uh, still missing. And a lot of the, the research that we did was in how people monitor progress in terms of what has been done versus what is missing. In general, if you have not done much, look at what you have done. Okay? If uh, you are doing a lot, then focus on, on what's missing, on how far you're from where you want to be. Absolutely. And I want to really pinpoint this question and give an example of maybe someone going to reach out to a financial advisor when they have a couple of thousand dollars in the bank versus being at zero. So a lot of my question comes down to how do we get people to recognize I'm at $2,000, I'm not going to be too far from zero. I should probably reach out to help now before I'm even, maybe not even in zeros, but in the minuses. So that's really where I want to see, is there any way in which we can recognize maybe the trajectory in which we're heading and pull things to a stop and obviously shift that trajectory upwards before we reach a point in which, you know, like you said, some people do resign to just saying life's unfair. This is not for me. But for those people who do reach zero and that's when the alarm bells start ringing, how can we get them to be just as motivated to do something about it before they reach zero. Yeah, um, let me say that I, I advise uh, for uh, like advise people to uh, kind of draw their goal system and what they refer to as, as goal system are their main goals in life, uh, the, the means by which they pursue these goals, and how how these goals are related to each other, and so. On a very general level, most people have health goals, have family uh, goals, have career and, and financial uh, goals. Now, there, there are many, many other goals that people have. Okay, they, they might want to they go somewhere in the world. They might want to travel. They might have like uh, uh, social, uh, charitable goals. But in the general, is like health is uh, profession, fi finance, and uh, um uh, it, it well, I say, I say the health, I say the, the profession, financial and family. Okay. So everybody has, uh, uh these, uh, three uh, domains and, and kind of check with you where, where do you, you stand on, on this, uh, what, uh, needs to be, uh, done, what you have done, uh, just, uh, be aware of, uh, where you are now. Now, keep in mind that in terms of uh, just uh, motivated reasoning, in terms of our desire to feel good about ourselves, you, you will see that people tend to uh, look away when things are not looking good. 
Okay, it's much easier to analyze my my successes than uh, uh, my failures. Okay, and uh, uh, when the the trajectory is, is negative, uh, it is very tempting uh, not to check, uh, not to look. There is a uh, no, some some classic studies uh, showing that uh, people check their, their finance when the the market uh, goes up, the stock market goes up. Okay, because if you invested money, uh, then likely you have today more than you had last week. Uh, what's interesting is people don't look okay, when the, the stock market goes down. Okay, so you know, if if I lost money, it's it's better just not to not to look at this. Okay, if I. Uh, uh, haven't exercised that uh, it's better not to to think about it in terms of my uh, immediate uh, emotions in terms of the long term consequences that's uh, that's a problem which is why we we want to encourage people to to do the analysis okay and, and think about the, the different aspects of your life and, and not neglect any uh, aspect that is important and understand your various uh, goals and in the relationships uh, uh, between them, that requires practice. That requires just uh, uh, not knowing that this is something that you need to check with yourself once, uh, once in a while. Like you know, you know, like you, you need to get your physical like once a year. You should also uh, uh, draw your your goal system uh, once a year and, and and see where you stand. Absolutely love that answer. And you're 100% right. It's that we're forced to look at those things when we hit rock bottom, right? When there's no money to spend in the bank, then we kind of have to look into our financial situation. When the doctor tells us that we have diabetes, for example, or if we're on our way to continuing with our behavior, we are going to end up with health problems, then it kind of is the alarm bell that someone else almost rings for you by an external circumstance. Whereas what you're suggesting is that we have these reviews, we keep tabs on where we're at with all these important things in our life. And rather than looking away, we look towards them, even if they're not pretty, they're much easier to handle. And they're going to be a lot less pretty if we don't look at them at all. Yeah. Yes. And, and let me add, add another thing, which is uh, uh, setting goals that are not uh, not too long and not too much in, in, in the future. So that uh, there is what we refer to as, as the middle problem, which is uh, you start on something uh, you don't quite have, uh, like a destination. Like I, I'm going to like, start walking out, and I don't really have any. Like I'm just going to do it in, in my life, and, and then you start with much enthusiasm, and then after a, a week or a month or a couple of months, you you, you kind of uh, the enthusiasm goes down, and, and the way to address like these like middle problem, this lack of motivation when you're in the middle of a pursuing a goal, is by setting shorter goals. Okay, so a, a weekly uh, exercise, a monthly uh, or annual uh, saving goals. Like think about what is the the shorter time frame that will still make sense for you. And like within that time frame, uh, see how, how well you're doing. It will be uh, easier to uh, uh, to see progress. Uh, you're less likely to see that like decline in uh, uh, in motivation in the middle that we often observe when uh, people pursue goals. Absolutely. And would you say that there's a specific time frame that you would advise for most people? I know in the health and fitness side of things, I will start with the end of mind. I will kind of reverse engineer backwards. And realistically, the majority of my clients have obviously weekly goals. And that's more of a process based goal in terms of how many sessions they want to achieve, etc. And then they might have more of a metric and an outcome goal based on a four to six week period, which seems to work pretty well for most people. But is there a certain time frame or would you say it really just comes down to the individual? Well, it comes out to the individual and and, and the goal, right? So, uh, no, a, a retirement uh, uh, saving uh, goal is is often uh, the, the, a bad example, okay? Because if if you think about the fact that you need to save between now and the time that you retire, for most people, it's like the majority of of their lives, and it's just too far in in the future. Uh, a weekly exercise goal makes sense. Because the way we exercise uh, means that we are going to, to do it, most of us, a few times a week, uh, which suggests that this is the right uh, uh, unit uh, uh, for that. Now, 
you know, it's completely arbitrary, right? Like, what does it mean a weekly exercise goal? Obviously, I want to exercise just the same next week and, and the week after. So what is special about the week? What's special about the week is that it has beginning and, and end. And, and, you know, so, but first start thinking about like Katie Milkman's work at the beginning of the week on, on a Monday and then the, the boost from the end of the, uh, the week uh, when uh, you're about to finish. And, and that... Uh, uh, feels uh, uh, right. In terms of what you presented as like the, the four or six week uh, uh, achievement uh, goals, it really depends uh, at what people uh, want to, to achieve. Many of our exercising and, and eating goals are what we refer to as maintenance goals. So we don't actually want to be in a different place. In four weeks, I might want to be in the same place that I am now. Okay, so I'm just try, trying to maintain uh, uh, the current situation. It also varies by, you know, the the, the individual, uh, uh, like older people uh, might be more oriented toward maintenance goals. They just want to like, stay in shape the same way that that I was last year. Okay? A, a young person might want to uh, run a marathon uh, uh, next year, which means that they need to be a different person. Okay? They, they need to develop. So uh, understanding what is the type of the goal will help you understand how, how to set it right and how to monitor progress. And at the very start of the conversation, you spoke about the planner and the doer. And we spoke about the fact that a lot of us maybe are very, very optimistic and a little bit naive about how well we're going to do six weeks down the line, six months, and maybe six years as well. And we don't quite anticipate all of the things that come along the way. And I think one big thing that we come across as the doer rather than the planner is these dips in motivation. And I think you mentioned short-term goals as a very good antidote to that. But when we do run into the inevitable dips, especially when we do have these longer-term goals that span over the course of one year, a decade, or several decades, how do we avoid, or maybe not even avoid, but how do we provide or find an antidote for those inevitable motivation dips that we're going to find ourselves in. Yes, so, so we think about the, the doer and the planner in the context of self-control. Yeah. Uh, and, and when we think about self-control uh, uh, conflicts, uh, uh, they are, you know, if you think about it, they are interested. They, so if you think about it, they are interesting because what's the conflict? Okay, uh, Who is the person that uh, wants to, to stick with the goal and who is the person who uh, uh, wants to go for a temptation? Like, both of them are you, right? And so we refer to the, the metaphor of a planner and a doer as, as if they are like two people arguing uh, inside yourself, <laughs> although obviously both of them uh, are uh, you. Uh, now, <laughs> the, the interesting thing about self-control dilemmas is that uh, the, the first challenge is to identify them and only once you identify them, there is the actual puzzle between uh, these two uh, doer and planner. And I, I say that the first challenge is to identify them because most of the self-control dilemmas that we have in our modern life, like, if you choose the temptation just once, nothing happens. Okay? Like if I don't exercise just today, there will be no impact on uh, my physical shape, right? If I, you know, uh, eat one cookie, uh, that will not make me uh, less uh, healthy, okay? uh, uh, you know, unless it contains uh, peanuts and I'm allergic to peanuts, right? Like that, that. For most people, most of the time, the, the, the one uh, glass of alcohol uh, is not going to make me uh, drunk. Uh, uh, leaving a mess in, in the bathroom just uh, one day is not going to destroy my relationship. Okay? And, and so all these like everyday temptations, they are hard to identify. And the only way that we can see them as, as hurting some long-term goal is by thinking about them as, as a bulk. Okay? By thinking about my exercise today is somehow diagnostic of whether I will exercise tomorrow or, or the day after or, or that week. Okay, of thinking that the person that I am right now is the person that I'm also going to be in in the future, that there is a 
what what we sometimes refer to is uh, as, as a broader decision from this is not just a decision about now it's a decision about what I'm going to do as a person okay beyond the uh, the here and now and so once you realize that the decision today there is some consequences for future decisions that are going to be similar to it now you need to to battle the temptation okay and now we have uh, uh, the uh, the planner that says uh, uh, well this is what you should do and the doer that says I don't feel like it okay? and uh, what we find and this actually goes all the way back to my uh, dissertation research when I was pursuing my, my PhD is that telling people about these temptations in advance even if it's just a little bit in advance helps them prepare. Okay, and they're better able to, to tackle them. And I, the, the metaphor that I'm using is like lifting a, a heavy piece of furniture. Okay, if you don't know that it's heavy, you're going to like try to, to lift my, my office desk, which is, by the way, really heavy, and you will fail. Okay, like, it, it doesn't look very heavy, but it is. Okay, and, and if I tell you, you know, this desk, like, it's actually heavier than it looks you're going to approach it with more force and, and, and you can do that. And with temptations, if we tell people that uh, uh, this situation is going to be less, uh, sorry, more stressful than anticipated, okay, this situation is going to be very stressful, they're actually better able to uh, to navigate the stress uh, uh, than if they don't anticipate it to be such. If we tell you that... Um, no, getting up in, in the morning and then and, and showing up uh, for this uh, workout session is uh, going to be more challenging than you might anticipate. That actually makes it easier because okay? you're, you're kind of prepared. Okay? You are gearing yourself the same way that you, you, you're preparing to lift the heavy furniture. And so uh, to help the, uh, the planner, give the planner some information on what's going to be difficult. Okay, I, I tell the planner that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to decide to exercise, uh, uh, when you are like, uh, fully relaxed and that's in the future. It's going to be different when I'm, uh, warm in, in, in bed and it's early and I don't feel like getting up. And the, the planner should think about that situation. How, how can you get that person to get up? Yeah, I can imagine that would be very, very helpful. And there are, any other ways to create more harmony between the planner and the doer? Yeah, there, there are uh, a few things. Uh, um, I already mentioned before, but I will go back to it. Uh, the intrinsic motivation really matters. Okay, So the, the mistake for the planner is often to uh, plan only based on extrinsic motivation. That is only planned based on, on long-term uh, rewards. Let me actually give you an example from a study that uh, Caitlin Woolley and I ran. Uh, we asked people to to choose between two tasks. One was to uh, uh, listen to the the song "Hey Jude" by the Beatles, and the other one uh, was to uh, uh, listen to a loud alarm clock. Now that sounds like a no-brainer. Right? Like who would choose the alarm clock? Well, more than seventy percent of our population because it paid more. Okay, and so the, the planner says, well, I'm going to do this experiment for the money and I'm going to choose the task that pays more. Then we ask them whether they regret their choice and the people that chose the alarm regret their choice. The people that, that chose the, the bill song uh, do not regret their choice. And so the, uh, the doer hates listening to a loud alarm clock. It, it's terrible. It's, it, it's noisy. It's, it's unpleasant. Move that to, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, exercising and, and, and fitness. Uh, the planner's mistake is to choose an, a workout uh, only based on long-term benefits. Okay, And, and so the, the planner might choose a workout that the doer finds boring, uh, lonely, uh, like the time doesn't move fast enough, uh, uh, you know, the, the doer might like, I don't know, like swimming, but the planner thinks that uh, uh, that, that person should be running. Okay? And, and you kind of, you really need to constantly explore 
what is pleasurable for you? What gives you this uh, uh, feeling of uh, I, I'm enjoying it? With a caveat that it might not be enjoyable immediately. Okay, and as I'm sure you know, uh, Elliot, like people that have not been running for a while, the first one is not going to feel good. And so <laughs> it's, it's just going to feel painful. And so they, to explore what my body likes doing might require doing it a few times just to, to get a good sense of whether I like it or not. Absolutely. And something I always try and tell my clients as well is that when it comes to short and long-term gratification, I try to remind them that long-term gratification can lead to short-term if you see the full scope right? If you're able to see the, the long-term benefit of saying no to the temptation of the drink in the bar after work because you have health and fitness goals, is obviously you staying on track, not having this fluctuation on the scales for the next morning, and ultimately being one step towards your long-term goal. But also if you reflect on the short-term gratification of being able to say no in a social environment to have been committed to your word as well you can almost get the best of both worlds whereas i feel if you go for the short you only get the short but not generally the long however if you opt for the long as long as you frame it in the right way you're able to get long-term gratification which helps you towards a bigger picture goal and short term if you are able to frame it in that way Absolutely agree. I, and I, I, you know, I, I also think that uh, there are ways to uh, get both. Okay. And sometimes the, sometimes the conflict that we perceive is, uh, is, is not really there. Uh, because uh, your workout session can feel great. It can be the highlight of your day. Uh, let me give you an example from eating because we, we did a lot of work with, with food. Uh, people, uh, in particular in the Western world, believe that there is a conflict between uh, uh, health and taste. Okay, basically that food can be uh, either uh, healthy uh, or tasty. Now, that this is something that we learn from our culture. This is something that we can see uh, uh, all the way you know, from children's books. Okay, like we, we can see that uh, uh, food that is. Uh, uh, health is, is presented as, as unprepared, as not so tasty. Uh, food uh, that is, is tasty is uh, uh, often uh, like it's often unhealthy food is presented uh, ready uh, to eat. But this is not in our psychology as people. Okay, this is not in our evolution. Actually, beautiful food is food that is. Both healthy and tasty. Okay, the, the extent that we look at this and say, "Oh wow, that looks interesting. That looks exciting." Like that's often like the food has uh, 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 both. And so, what we we need to to learn is to identify the the food that will satisfy both. The food that is good for me and is going to make every meal a, a pleasure because. Few people uh, are willing to uh, give up on uh, on enjoying their meals, okay, on enjoying their food. It is so basic for us as, as humans to have this as a pleasurable experience. Is this just a belief that we have? Is it the fact that that is what we've grown up with and then others will develop an ability to recognize that food that is healthy is also delicious? Or is it something that we have to consciously do? Because there are people who I sometimes look at and I feel that you might say that they have a little bit more of an immature taste palette in a, in a pretty blunt way. It's like they still enjoy the foods they enjoyed as a child and they never get the chance to experience anything outside of that. So does it come down to making a conscious decision or do you have to explore different foods? How can we make that choice? Because I feel like some people it comes very intuitively and others I feel still have that trouble leading into their 30s, 40s and 50s. Yeah, so we definitely document individual differences in uh, uh, the belief that uh, 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 healthy and, and tasty are uh, conflicting goals and, and people that believe that there is a conflict are the, uh, the people that uh, usually eat uh, less uh, healthily. Uh, we also document individual differences in, in the belief that uh, a healthy food is, is unprepared. Uh, it's not with spices. It's uh, bland and uh, it's boring. It's bland, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just bland and, and, and boring and uh, uh, and then actually foodies 
are the people that are less likely to show this bias. They think about healthy food as, as prepared. So, so let me be concrete here. So they, you know, we, we, uh, in some studies, we ask people like when, when you envision, now when you envision like chickpeas or, or carrots or, uh, you know, how, how do you see that? Okay. What comes to your mind? And often like we give people actually pictures that they can choose and people often choose their, no, the uncooked raw version, okay? Uh, even if you cannot actually eat that, as in the case of chickpeas or like, you know, Brussels sprouts, you don't actually eat them uncooked, right? But this this is what comes to mind. It's not the, like the version where it's like, it, it's a cooked and, and spiced and has like this wonderful smell and, and colors uh, uh, and it's ready uh, on, on the plate. Okay? Uh, food is do envision these healthy foods as, as prepared and is like their best, uh, most appetizing uh, display and they are less likely to like think about food as, as either healthy uh, or uh, tasty. So what I'm saying here maybe in a, in a somewhat confusing way is that one way to, to educate yourself that there is no real conflict is by changing the way you think about healthy foods, okay? They are not raw, they are not in the ground, okay? They are not uncooked. <laughs> they are actually uh, prepared uh, uh, with much uh, uh, flavor and, and, and sauce and, uh, uh, and, and great smell. And when you change these uh, imageries of uh, uh, healthy food, uh, you become to focus more on that good taste. I love that. And I really hope the listeners, as you were saying it, kind of pictured the images in their mind. Because when you said chickpea, the first like maybe half a second thought that came to me was just a chickpea. But the immediate thought after that came to a delicious hummus. And then the same with the kale. The kale was the raw in the packet to begin with. And then as soon as like half a second later, even before you explain the context, it was the fried kale with some cheese on the top and it was delicious. So it's very interesting. And it's funny because if we don't do that with the unhealthy foods, right? Because of maybe they've been painted in such a delicious and palatable way. But if you actually were to do that with some unhealthy foods, your mind would have to revert to the factory, right? In which it's kind of being created. And that's a pretty gross way to think about things compared to something that comes from the ground. I think all of us can realistically understand that. So it's really interesting because we don't have that mindset of like, this was created in a factory. We could go through some of the grotesque ways in which meat is, you know, obtained in fast food outlets, but we don't think of that, but we think of the raw version. So it's, it's really interesting. And I hope that people can kind of assimilate that and really kind of start to shift their mind patterns away from what healthy food, quote unquote, and unhealthy food really is. So I love the example of the bag that you have just used, like envisioning the uh, the kale in, in like the, the plastic bag that you buy in the grocery store. You also buy the, the beef in, in a bag, right? So like the, the burgers, they, they come in, in a bag. So why is it that I say a burger and you envision the, the bun and, uh, you know, the, the mustard and the ketchup and, and, and everything there? Uh, and And when I say kale, it's in the bag and it's not very tasty when you eat it out like out of the bag like you need to do something with it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah it's interesting because again like i would have expected yeah my first thought to be the actual accessible way of eating it but that was actually where my mind first went so it's very very interesting so yeah I, i really like that very realistic pattern that we can go through and kind of changing subjects but kind of keeping on the same note is something of an inevitability that we'll also experience on any type of journey that's going to span across a decent period of time are setbacks maybe some negative feedback and i'm very curious to understand the differences in the people who maybe try something 20 times and their mindset is okay I've maybe failed on this 20 times, but that must mean I'm just one more try away from being where I want to be. And there's other people who are like, okay, I failed for 20 times now. This really isn't for me. So what is the difference between those people who are able to almost see setbacks as like, 
fuel to keep going and others who literally see it as a brick wall that they can't get past. Yeah, so we genuinely see that people don't learn as much from negative feedback, at least not as much that there is information in uh, negative uh, feedback, which is uh, not uh, uh, not great news given that setbacks are, are part of life and uh, not the part that usually enables a lot of learning. The people that do learn from negative feedback, from setbacks, the, the people that take this as uh, as information and and, and then improve, uh, they they tend to be uh, uh, more committed. They tend to have uh, uh, some uh, uh, expertise. Uh, let me give you an example for each one of them in terms of uh, commitment. Okay, they can. Uh, if you, you get negative feedback on like something that you're very committed to, okay, like a family member tells you that, uh, that you mistreated them and you're very committed to the relationship with uh, your children or, or your parents, then you fix it, okay? Then you say, okay, well, I, I need to do something about it, okay? Uh, if you get such negative feedback from uh, like the, the, something that you're not very committed to or a person that you're not very committed to, then you just say, well, I'll, I'll just like, I'll disengage. Okay. That's just not, uh, uh, not for me. Like I, I can't really work with this colleague. Like we, we don't have good relationships. So, so instead of, okay, what do I need to do to fix the relationship? It's like, well, I just give up on that person. I, I, in terms of expertise, we see that non-experts, when they get negative feedback, what they, they infer is that they, they, it's not for me. Okay? I have very low commitment. Okay? So like, let's say I, no, I don't play instruments. If I start playing the piano and I get negative feedback, I would say, well, I guess, uh, uh, that's not, uh, for me. But like the, the expert, okay, the professional pianist, you, you give them negative feedback and super motivated. What they take from the negative feedback is not, maybe it's not for me. It's not like doubting their commitment. It's perceiving lack of progress. Okay? And if I haven't made progress, then I need to make more uh, uh, progress. Uh, and so basically the people who learn from setbacks and negative feedback are the, the people that are sufficiently committed, that have the confidence that they can be the experts. They they can uh, do that, and they tend to to think about these setbacks as lack of progress. Okay, uh, in uh, uh, motivation theory, uh, they, there are some researchers that look at, at motivation like the, the thermostat. Okay, that uh, goes into action when the room is uh, not at the right temperature. Okay? Like the, the thermostat only responds to negative feedback. Okay, it's like it's too cold, so you, you raise the temperature, okay? you, you work harder. Okay? And in a way, uh, uh, the, the people that respond to, to setbacks are the, the people that have like this uh, uh, almost thermostat uh, uh, mentality that, well, if things don't, uh, don't go well, that means I, I need to uh, uh, work uh, harder. Uh, uh, Carol Dweck has wonderful uh, work on, on growth mindset. Uh, the people that often understand that there is information in the, uh, the negative feedback. There, there is something that I've learned and now I, I can use it to, to grow. Yeah, so how do we become someone with more of a thermostat or growth mindset? Because most of us don't start with an expertise and most of us know that we might need to be doing something like health and fitness, for example, but we might not be super committed. So if we're going in with kind of a lack of commitment, but a feeling that we should and with very little expertise, how can we kind of bypass those two things that we need in order to become someone who's not going to give up at the first hurdle? I would say uh, frame this in terms of progress and not in terms of commitment. That is, uh, when something doesn't work right, ask, uh, uh, what does it mean for my uh, progress? Uh, it, it, say, like, it, it doesn't say anything about my commitment. It says that my progress is low. Okay, and if the progress is low, then you know, then the thermostat now needs to uh, work harder. Okay? Uh, but but don't make general inferences about commitment. It's not useful. Perfect. So just keep an eye on the goals that you're working towards, and if they're not heading in the direction that you want them to, then that's your indication to basically get that thermostat to kick in. Yes, it's it's lack of progress. It's not lack of commitment. 
Excellent. Well, I've got a couple of final questions for you, Ayla. This has been an amazing conversation so far. And before we do wrap up, can you go through what an anti-role model is? It's something I found fascinating, and I don't think it's something that we spoke about on this podcast before. Yeah, so, uh, well, remember I I said that you need to set a goal, you need to monitor uh, progress, which we talked about a lot. We talked about the multiple goals and, and and then there is the the social aspect and the social aspect well there there are people that are your role model and then there are people that are your anti role model and 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 the latter are the uh, the people that you say don't want to be like that person they that that person is uh, their behavior is is not how i uh, see myself the way they they express themselves the way they they respond to uh, challenges uh, is is not the way that uh, that I want to be, and uh, um, you know it's interesting that you ask because I actually like there is some academic work on, on anti role models, but I, I would give a personal example that I I noticed that. Uh, uh, like trainers that I, I work with and that illustrate what you should not do. I often find it more useful than when they tell me what I should do because, oh, so that's the mistake. It's like, this is how I should not uh, do this. Uh, and, and, and this, they are not the anti-world model because it's not that they are, they are generally world models, but for a second they take this world. Let me show you the mistake. And if you can learn from mistakes, if you can learn from what doesn't go right and like identifying people that are doing it in a way that is not how you want to do it helps you learn from from their uh, mistakes which we uh, by the way know is often easier than, than learning from my own mistakes absolutely and i love the idea of having a role model and an anti-role model because when i speak to a lot of my clients i find that history and my experiences told me that they are very motivated to not be where they have been. And chasing after this version of this potential of who they can be is almost harder to visualize. So for example, someone might not be able to visualize if they are, you know, a singer being Beyonce, for example, it's almost impossible for them to visualize that, but they can visualize where they don't want to be. And I always think a healthier part of like something behind you, pushing you towards where you can be. And then also something to look at as what you want to aspire to be is probably the best possible way to go. I find that disregarding that, you know, this exists is probably a little bit naive and also only striving towards, yeah, being the best version of yourself. It might, you might struggle with that visualization and understanding that you are the type of person that can be there. So I really like it. And it's also ironic because if, if I label a podcast five ways to get in shape, it might get a few clicks, it might get a hundred, 300 downloads. But then if I do the one of five mistakes you're making of why you're not getting in shape, all of a sudden it's 1000 and 2000. And it's almost as if we like to hear the things that we're not doing well at times versus the things that we should be doing. And that was kind of your example as well. Yes, absolutely. And we actually learn well from other people's mistakes. And so, uh, you know, if you can, they, is a trend even like pretend to uh, make a mistake just like, show me how the mistake is being done it, that is often uh like i'm, I'm curious I, I i want to to hear more i i know how can i move away from that and, and toward where you want me to be perfect yeah it makes a lot of sense to me and it's definitely been my experience as well so final big question for you is on the note of new year's resolutions it's coming up to the end of the year now we're already going to be starting to think about it and you also mentioned that you track people across the course of them starting their new year's resolutions all the way up until november so what is so significant about november and how can we make sure that people stick to their new year's resolutions beyond especially within the scope of health and fitness we see it almost by february it starts to down yeah it takes a downward spiral to be completely honest so how do we get people to follow through on the new year's resolutions once and for all yeah so you already mentioned that the the data is that people uh, start dropping these resolutions in in february and a few uh, make it to the end of the year uh, when we looked at uh, what predicts uh, adherence, uh, well, it was really how much the person found an enjoyable way to uh, pursue uh, these resolutions, how much you you took care of the shorter, okay? that it's not just a long-term uh, resolution. It also uh, feels uh, uh, right at the moment. And the specific examples that people that uh, found uh, 
uh, new uh, healthy food that they like, people that uh, were uh, able to identify a workout uh, that, they, uh, that they like. We generally find that approach uh, goals uh, about doing something, they tend to stick longer than avoidance goals, which are about not doing uh, uh, something. So, you know, eating more uh, green vegetables is actually a better resolution than uh, taking certain foods uh, off your, your, your menu. It's, it's harder to uh, stick to, to something that's about not doing something because it doesn't feel very good. And uh, and so they focus on that, uh, on, on being uh, healthy, uh, physically, uh, mentally, uh, more than about avoiding being uh, unhealthy. And take they, people usually don't spend a lot of time on the resolution. So take like a, a few more minutes to, to think about what is the, uh, the fun path uh, to, to pursue this resolution. And, and you might be able to uh, get that to March and then June and then November. Absolutely. And I think an honest reflection of like, how well have you gotten on with these in the past would be a nice place to start. You know, I think most of us know that we haven't really stuck to them. So maybe like you said, inviting a new approach or a little bit more time to think about it and maybe diversifying it a little bit more to not just getting in shape and stop eating food, like you said, and trying a different approach could be the key to long-term success. So just one and or two, in fact, final questions for you, Ayla. First of all, where can people find you and read your book? I'm sure people are super fascinated and curious after listening to this conversation. So where can they learn more about the work that you're doing? So thanks for asking. Uh, people uh, should go on my website, ayelatfishback.com. Uh, or uh, uh, get my book, uh, uh, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation, and ideally do both. Amazing. Ayala, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? I want people to uh, be able to uh, pursue their, their, their goals. And, and you know what? It's often not about reaching the goal. Often the number that we put on, on the goal is, is kind of uh, random. Uh, it's about uh, uh, moving forward and, and feeling energized and, and ultimately uh, be happy because you are moving, because you are not uh, in place. And um, that's my hope. What a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for all the work you do. This has been a truly fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for having me and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.